it's zooming out to allow yourself to just be present and accept what's, like you said, right in front of you and allow yourself to actually feel the enjoyment in moments of like all that wave of emotion of like, that didn't feel great, but like, oh, this feels really good. But oh, that didn't feel so good. Oh, but wait, like I'm recognizing this feels good and it's okay. Like it's totally okay to just find the trust within life. Welcome to A Better Life with Brandon Turner. That is me, where world-class guests share their wisdom on building a better life. Join me as we explore the habits, the actions, and the beliefs that have guided the journey with the aim of helping you apply those lessons to your own. We So, Brooke, I know you online. I've been following you forever. I know you as a, what doctor of occupational therapy, which I'm going to ask you what that is in a minute. Yes. Uh, you have like a billion followers on TikTok. I don't know, like wait, <laughs> like a, a ton. I don't know, quite a billion. But you're a therapist. I know. I know you've worked mm-hmm. with some people that I know. I know you're an online course creator. I know you're a phenomenal dancer, and you have been very helpful to me and my wife actually because mm-hmm. we've been following you and learning from you on the gram. But before all that. Take us back to an earlier time before that was you. Who was your life before you were Dr. Brooke Weinstein? Ooh, I think I've always been this person, but I would say before I, you could say a social media presence or before I stepped into this portion of my career, I was a mom and a NICU mom and a wife and I owned a business for OT and I mostly worked with pediatrics and I was a young, naive girl thinking that first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes baby and the baby carriage. And like, things are just going to work. Like, that's just what it's going to be. And that's not quite my story Mm. and the road that my life has taken. But at the same time, it's a journey that I wouldn't change for anything despite the hardships in my life because I'm where I'm meant to be now. And the person that I am now and the people that I work with and the humans that I get to come in contact with and share my story like I'm doing here with you and all the things that are stepping into my life now have really come from all the other things that have happened in my life previously before Dr. V showed up on TikTok. Okay. (laughs) So... You said you ran an OT, occupational therapy, I'm assuming, right? Practice. What does that mean? Sure. So I specialize in the nervous system and nervous system healing and specifically regulation of your nervous system in terms of your sensory system. So the stimuli coming into your body and how that affects your body. A lot of us think that psychology, right, is the end-all be-all in terms of mental health and the words that are coming out of our mouth. And it's quite actually different than that. It's the behavior that's presenting within your environment or your world or how you're showing up behaviorally, which is really the end-all be-all in terms of how you're functioning mental health-wise. And when I owned my clinic, I would focus on pediatrics. So I've seen it all. I mean, I worked in children's hospital to start my career off and I felt that the mental health model was not working. Like it just not, it just wasn't working in terms of, I was seeing clients back to back to back every 30 minutes. And 
these parents were taking off of work, grabbing their kids from school, coming to see me in the middle of the day because that's the only time I had. And then they got 30 minutes a week. That's it. And it just wasn't working. So of course, cue my business. And I wanted to make it really parent-based model in terms of making sure that the parent understood what I was doing and how I was doing it and why I was doing it. And I did it for six years with a business partner. And I'm really proud of that time. During that time, we rented out a small little room in a synagogue. And then we moved to a 3,000 square foot facility. And I learned a lot through that time, but it still wasn't working. And through that time frame of life, I had terrible pregnancies, two preemies. And Jonathan, my husband, got a job in Texas. And I was like, hold on, buddy. Like my career matters too. You know, like I was like, I got this female, you know, empowerment. And I really sat with it and I really kind of silenced the peanut gallery of my family and my life. And I was like, is this something that I'm choosing to hold on to because I should? And that's the path that I thought I would be taking and all the blood, sweat, and tears that went into that business? Or am I happy? Am I drowning? Am I like, what's going on with me? And I recognized that I was giving to so many different areas of my life, but stretched incredibly thin. And so because I was giving to so many different areas of my life, stretched so thin, I wasn't giving to any one area very well Mm. or well enough for the way that I wanted to. And so I sold it and we moved here to Austin and took a lot of time to kind of really have a lot of introspection into what went well, what didn't go well, what I would have done differently, maybe why it didn't work in terms of supporting the parents. And ultimately, I recognized that the reason it it still didn't work, even creating a different model than the hospital system, is parents are exhausted. Like, we're so tired. We're so burnt out. You're coming to me as the specialist to, quote, fix your child or to meet the goals in which we set out for these children. But like I said, like 30 minutes, an hour a week, I can't, I'm not a magician. And as much as I tried to help the parents understand what to do, what was going on, all the different things, they don't need homework from an OT. Like they're just trying to get the groceries, make the lunches and get their kids tucked in the bed and some silence at the end of the day. So you were working with like little, like kids. Oh yeah. But they would come in. For 10 years, yeah. So maybe this is a dumb question, but when you looked at a kid that had a problem, like sure. a behavior, what, what's an exact, like what, what mm-hmm. age range and what kind of problems did yeah. you get? Would you I mean, see? I did it all. We had a contract with a medical daycare. So medically fragile kids all the way from just being preemies to having serious medical issues all the way to autism and down syndrome and ADHD mm. and handwriting issues, picky eating. Like I, especially working in the hospital setting as well as the medical daycare. And I've worked in a school setting as well. During that time, we had a contract with the school as well. Like I've, I've pretty much seen it and done it all. So this is where maybe, again, maybe it's a dumb question, but when you have problems in kids and mm-hmm. I, today I want to, there's a number of things I want to drill you on today while I sure. got you here with my sure. free coaching time here. Sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> everything for, yeah, I want to make sure we cover some kids stuff. Cause you have kids, I have kids yeah. and it's, it's hell. 
a lot of times. Um, <laughs> it's fantastic. It's how. so Come good on. though. It's so good. I absolutely love it, but it is hard. And I want to talk about just like high performance, just like high performers and yes. what you notice them because you work with a lot of them. Yes. But when it comes to the kid, did a lot of problems stem? Was it the parents' fault? I guess is what I'm saying. Mm. Like do our kids bad, picky eaters, grumpy. Is that a parent fault almost all the time? Or is it, you know, sometimes just something in the brain that's different than the kid? I would say a mix. So I could give you so many different examples, but let's say picky eating. Picky eating is a sensory-based component of life, as well as there's texture, there's taste, there's so many different things. There's emotions that go into eating, like the fear of choking, the fear of lateralizing your tongue. Like we could go on and on and on. But now let's say I say, kiss it, lick it, eat it. Like the amount of anxiety that produces in a child. And that's the standard practice right now. Like I used to look at parents and be like, are you sure? Like, are you sure you want to go down this road? Because I need them to trust me and I need them to get to a place where they'll actually lick the turkey slice. And (laughs) I would say it's half what's going on with the child and it's half the way that our, as parents and our anxiety is being perpetuated and then kind of placed onto the child. And it's not that we're meaning to do this. We have the most well intentions for our children, but it's a combination as well as co-regulation in terms of when I'm heightened my kids are heightened. Mm -hmm. And when I'm not doing well, my kids aren't doing well. And I would very much say it, that's kind of the path that I took while I took time off of working after I sold my business, I started to recognize like what the heck was going on in my own home. And I was exhausted by three in the afternoon and picking the kids up in the afternoon, you know, I was like, oh gosh, can I make it till we get to bedtime? And I wasn't even working at that time. And I thought that that's what I wanted was to kind of stay at home and be able to support the kids. And especially during that time in my life, Jonathan, he very much struggled for the majority of our marriage with depression and anxiety. And I kind of thought it was situational in terms of what was going on in New Orleans when we lived there. And he was in family business with mine and I thought it was situational. And then once we moved here, I could very much see that it was a pattern. And Mm. so my mental state of supporting Jonathan and even making sure that he got out of bed in the morning and started work and all the different things, plus taking care of the kids, plus laundry, plus this, plus that, you know, it just kind of all added up. And I would say that's really the catalyst for my own change in terms of, okay, I know I'm an OT and I know how to work with children. And I clearly see that there's an issue here of parents. We don't know how to support our children in the way that they need neurologically. It's a completely different thing to be an OT versus a parent. And how to combine the two is really, I would say, the work of my life. And it's brought me to a much better understanding of the brain and how to support parents and regulate their nervous system, which is really at the end of the day, mental health and being able to support your child, no matter the struggle, like no matter what is going on, no matter what is being presented or the worries and issues, let's say that come up at school that teachers, you know, saying, Hey, this is maybe going on. Or if you do have a child with autism or down syndrome or sensory processing disorder, you know, it, we have to do the work on ourselves and be able to kind of 
combine those two and it's changed my whole life. It's changed all my clients' lives. And the coolest part is I went into this, like hands down, went into occupational therapy. I found this when I was in high school and I was like, this is what I want to do. How do I do this? And I went into this to impact the lives of children. And I don't work with children anymore. I work with adults. I work with big brains. I work with humans. And I have never felt like I'm impacting children more than I do now, Mm. like ever. And I, I know all these children, like I know all of my clients' kids, because if I take you on as a client, I'm not just working with you. I'm working with your whole family because it wasn't working the way that I was doing it prior. And it has to be a whole unit. It has to be the mental health of every single human in your house because that is co-regulation. And it's the craziest thing that I'm now finally impacting the lives of children the way in which I wanted to from the moment I found this, but it's through parents and it's through humans and it's, it's through adults. Yeah. Is that kind of like the, uh, you know, the uh, metaphor you use often of like the airline, you know, put your own mask on before you assist your kid. Cause now the parents got the mask on 1000%. Okay. Yeah. Yep. We don't do it. Like we don't, you know, I, I want more water, mommy, I need yeah. this. And this is, a, you know, like, okay, here we go. Like, yep. and you just go, 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 go. And not to mention like, that's just parenthood. Now let's throw a job in the mix and yeah. a career and passions for what you want to do in your life and what you want to get out of your life. And it's very hard to sift the forest through the trees in terms of how do I make this all work? How do I make this function? And how do I find somewhat of a balance to support all of ourselves? So there's a a basic question that probably has a complex answer. And you you already started talking about it, so I can't let you get off it. My my kids are picky eaters. Mm Mm-hmm. How do I get my kids to eat? I feel like it's my fault. It's something I'm doing because both of them are the exact same way, right? Chicken nuggets, mac and cheese. Mm-hmm. Um, and I try to do that. Like, we'll make our own chicken nuggets. Fine. But they're a little healthier. We'll, we'll make our own mac and cheese. Fine. But it's still like, they just will not try. Even like silly things like try this chocolate chip cookie. No, it's too many. Like there's, it's mixed, right? Like, yep. like how do I get Rosie who's six yep. to just try something new? Yep. So like I told you, picky eating is hands down my least favorite thing. (laughs) I have a picky eater as well. And so again, it was OT versus parent of like, Mm -hmm. how do I translate this into my own home? And I actually did all the things that I was taught as an OT to do, and it perpetuated the anxiety. Mm -hmm. So the number one tip I can give you is let them eat the chicken and the mac and cheese Mm -hmm. and just let it go. Like there's so many other things in life to focus on. And I've once had a client who was like, all my kid will eat many, many years ago. My kid will only eat Pop-Tarts. And I was like, does your child have failure to thrive? Which means their brain is not growing. Well, no. Okay, then let them eat Pop-Tarts. I Mm. guarantee you, if they find a mate and they decide to get married and they're walking down that aisle, they'll be eating something other than (laughs) Pop-Tarts. Like I guarantee you, right? At that point. And so there's certain things that if you take it off the table of just like letting it go, Mm. it actually repairs the brain so that we can then create new patterns. So it's releasing the anxiety to just kind of have the brain forget the anxiety surrounding that intense time of like, gosh, they're going to want me to try something. Oh gosh, they're going to want me to eat something else. And I want that time for families because sometimes that's the only time that families get. I want that time for families to be enjoyable and it's not only anxiety provoking for your children, but it's anxiety provoking for you. Yeah. 
And it's like, oh, damn it. You did like, come on, you didn't eat the broccoli. Like, let's go, you know? And so it's okay. Like, it's okay for them to continue just eating mac and cheese and chicken nuggets. (laughs) And despite us wanting to teach our children what a protein is, what a vegetable is, all the different things, if their brain does not have failure to thrive, it's okay to take it off your plate for the moment. And it's okay to release that and just enjoy life, if you will. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. I mean, it reminds me of something my wife and I say to each other all the time when we're in these situations, like something weird, like for example, bedwetting or, you know, whatever, not eating any vegetables, right? We always say, it's okay. They're not going to be 30 years old and wetting their bed. So at yeah, some point, exactly, right, exactly. it will take care of itself. And that yes. alleviates a lot of the guilt or pressure, anxiety around that. It's like, they'll take care of it. Like yep. the fact that Rosie won't yeah, just do little things or while they won't do little things. I'm like, come on. Like mm-hmm. they won't be 20 and doing those yeah, things. It's exactly. Okay. I tell parents a lot of times it's a hierarchy of needs, if you will, in terms of like when a lot of my parents come to me and they're like, they're doing this and they're doing this and it's driving me nuts. And, the da, 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 and I'm trying to get them to sit during the dinner table and, and the TV's on. And, da, 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 and I'm like, what's the one thing that's driving you up the wall the most? Like, let's just do that one thing. Yeah. Because what happens is if you stay consistent, I call it showing up to the party, like pick one thing, show up to the party, stay consistent. Because what happens is, have you ever had a moment where you drive, I don't know, somewhere and you're like, how the fuck did I get here? Right? You're like, okay, I got here, but like I was totally having a conversation with myself. It's autopilot, right? And so the more we can stay consistent with our children and just choose one thing at a time, that becomes autopilot. So then it releases their brain from having to function and think about everything else. Same with our, like a child's brain is the same as ours, right? So like if you're consistent in life or you show up to the party and doing the one thing that you need to do, it will become autopilot. You just have to trust the process. And then it allows that brain to then have so much more capacity to learn the next thing because it's not focusing on all the different tasks at hand that you're trying to get it to do because it's autopilot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the word several times, uh, the idea of regulation, co-regulation, deregulation. Mm-hmm. Can you define that? What, like, how do you define is that an industry term? Is that a your term? Yeah. And then what yeah, does that that's mean? That's a neurological term. Okay. There's a term called dysregulation, which is basically an adult meltdown, like, okay. or a, ba- a child meltdown, right? So there's a difference between a tantrum and a meltdown. Yes. Adults have them too. A tantrum is like, I want that. No, I like, I I want that. Like, but no, no, no. Like I want that. And like, I get that because I want it. And that's a tantrum versus a meltdown is a complete overload and sensory overload of your brain where your brain is actually offline. And so all of my clients that I work with, they are functioning at a high rate of push, 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 that they're living in a state of survival and they're probably living with their brain offline, to be quite honest. So it's hard to make decisions. You have mm. brain fog, lots of fatigue. That dysregulation in your brain is that, the brain fog and the living offline. When your child is completely melting down, which is why I go back and forth between these examples so you can really understand almost how an adult brain functions is, it's the example of like, I want to cut in a square. Sure, honey, here's a square. Well, now I want a triangle. It's like, but you just said a square. But now I want a circle. And you're like... It's a tortilla. Like I already cut it. Like, I don't really know what you want from me. Right. Like I'm not doing another one. It's like, you just give up. That's a complete meltdown where they have no idea what they want. They have no idea what they need. And there's moments like that for us as adults too, where we have absolutely no idea decisions to make or what to do or how to function or I was going to say big boy decisions, like 
and women, but like, you know, those big decisions that, that really shape our lives. And so if you step into more of a regulated state, that is your brain actually being online, having that creative drive, feeling the ability to not feel so tired and exhausted and burnt out and the ability to make decisions, really sound decisions, trust, like trust within yourself. And when you're dysregulated, the amount of hormones being produced within your body is really not good. It's what leads to chronic illness and shortened lifespans. Mm -hmm. And in order to get into a regulated state, that's where your brain is functioning as it should. Our bodies and brains were not meant to live at this heightened state forever. And with today's society and immediacy culture, social media, getting the job done now, making the deal now, why wait until tomorrow and get your ass up and try it again? You know, like, why are we doing that? That's because of societal norms, but our brain and body was not meant to function in that way. That's fascinating. You, know, you bring up the meltdown thing. This is kind of an, an embarrassing thing to admit, but I'll tell a quick story. I'm curious your thoughts on it. My son Wilder's three, you know, probably on a year and a half, he started just having these meltdowns, you bring mm -hmm. a meltdown, right? Mm -hmm. These just full on meltdowns. And it was crazy because my daughter never had that, but he would just for 45 minutes and it was almost perfectly the same amount of time. Every time his brain would just go offline and he would, nothing we could do could calm him down, just gone and happened one to two times every single day for about a year. Yeah, And it was just nuts. And at the same time, this is why it's an embarrassing thing to admit, like the only way I could get him out of it and it wasn't even just because of that. We increased his amount of iPad, like YouTube kids stuff, right? And he started watching more and more of that over that, you know, from the time he was about one. We, we did pretty well up until about one, mm -hmm. keeping him off of it. And mm -hmm. then he, it just was su such an easy babysitter. And when we, me and Heather just needed time to talk or we were in a car ride or whatever, and it just became more and more until it was probably a couple hours a day that he was sitting sure. on screen time. And then I saw a TikTok video just, I don't know, four months ago or three months ago as some guy. And he was just talking about how his kid was melting down every day. And then he took away the screen time and it's ended. And I was like, okay, that's, we all know that. And we, you know, obvious advice and never, nothing yep. ever works perfectly like that. So I did it. I took away his screen time. I was like, let's just try it. Yeah. Um, and we took it away and it was the first day he didn't have a meltdown. And then no the next way. day, next day he didn't have a meltdown. And the next day he didn't have a meltdown. It was the first On time the in first a year. Day. First day. I have never wow. seen anything work that well. It reminded me of, a, there's a story of diabetics when they invented uh, insulin where they walk around the room, uh, this room of kids that were all diabetic and they're all, whatever the, the term is there, they were dying. And they, they put insulin in all of them the first time ever. Mm -hmm. And by the time they got around the room, the, the first person, they were already like better, like they're standing up. And it yep. was, it worked so quick because insulin was like this miracle. It was like that. It, yep. it, he didn't, I mean, the first meltdown after that was maybe two weeks later. And it was just, a, it was like, we we're leaving for the night for a date night. So it was a, a more predictable, like that would make sense. It's silly to think that it was such a simple fix. And for a year, year and a half, even I knew the answer, yeah. So why, like, why did screen time, mm -hmm. like watching fun videos, Blippi or Miss Rachel or whatever, they, like, why is that mm -hmm. clearly caused this meltdown where his brain shut off every single day? What is that? Yeah. So we are not recognizing as a society that screens and computers and like, if you think about it, I grew up where it was the coolest thing when my dad got a phone in the car and it mm. had like that spirally, like, Hey, you know, like, come on, like Zach Morris phone. We yeah. all know yep. generally, uh -huh. <laughs> generationally what that means. Yep. And now we have little mini computers in our, in our eyes and in our faces. And 
our parents used to wait in line to like buy a ticket for a concert. Now, boop, Ticketmaster, done. Well, Ticketmaster's having some issues, but you know what I mean. <laughs> the world works so much faster and it's, oh God, I got to text them back. I got to do this. And so we are very focused in on screens and productivity and all the different thing. That screen is a visual stimulation. And so what it's doing is it's revving his engine. It's revving his brain to where he's in a heightened state. And so let's say he was doing well with it and then you take it away and that's when the meltdown happens. It's because his brain doesn't know it's the transition between that heightened dysregulated state or overstimulated state versus going back down to regulation. And most of my clients, I would say too, it's bringing it back from like the adult brain to the child brain is we don't know how to go down. We don't know how to step on the brake. It's gas and a brake, kind of, if you think of your brain that way. And learning how to throttle between the two is really what's important to find that mental health. Sometimes you've got to show up to the party and step on the gas. Sometimes you want to be able to step on that brake and slow down. But the difference in that throttle between the two is why that meltdown happens is because they don't know how to do it without the iPad. They don't know how to do it. And so they're having to come down with almost like an explosion of emotions within their brain and it kind of goes haywire. But then the next time you ever see your children have a meltdown, because it will totally happen, watch what happens after. It's like this pot of gold. They're like, oh, I love you, daddy. Uh It's It's so sweet. Yeah. Yeah. It's because it's an expenditure of immense amount of energy and It's when you choose to not regulate your brain, your brain will find a way to do it for itself. Mm. And so we as adults have that where it's like, I don't know why I'm crying, but I'm crying and I'm (laughs) like, and I don't know what to do. And then it's all of a sudden, like, how do you feel after that? Oh my gosh, I feel so much better. I feel so, so much better. I just don't think that we as humans have been given this information to understand literally how our vessel functions and not again on a psychological level, but more on a neurological level of like, how does your engine run? Like we have absolutely no idea. And so we are throwing iPads in front of our kids' faces because it's such a great babysitter. Look, I get you, no judgment. Like you do not have to shame yourself there. Like plenty of people do it, but is it healthy for our brain overall? Probably not. Yeah, it makes me think of, I mean, obviously his brain is a you know, two or three-year-old brain now, but what's that same thing doing for me, right? When we scroll TikTok like, or Instagram or whatever, like the, that scrolling, I'm like, mm-hmm. it's clearly messing with me as well. And I can mm-hmm. feel a direct correlation between the amount of time I spend on my phone and my general depression or lack thereof, mm. right? I can feel it. And I'm like, oh, I've been on my phone a lot lately. I just feel off. I feel down. Yes. And, and the annoying part is then the solution my brain gives me to feel better is to go back on the phone and do more phone. Yes. And so like the, yeah, it's, it's like, Oh yeah, you don't feel good with the, you know you're having a little drug relapse. Get back on the get up back on the drug and you'll yep. you'll feel good again. Because it's the discomfort. Mm-hmm. It's the discomfort in your brain from that. I like this feels good. Scroll, 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 yep. scroll, scroll, and no one understands that the reason you're swiping is because your brain craves up and down motion. Like mm. you're not swiping left to right. You're swiping <laughs> you're right, up and yeah. down. And the creators of these apps knew that. And that's why they do it. And so your brain wants more of it. And it's really the discomfort between island A to island B. And it's that throttle. And that's 
like literally those two, that window and the window of tolerance and, and learning to sit with the fear of decisions and all the different things. It's an experiential experience when I work with clients because they have to be able to feel it so that they can recognize it, become aware of it, and then support a new pattern within the brain so that you're like, oh, I know what's going on here. Oh, I know why I'm this. Oh gosh, I know why I snapped at my kids. Oh my gosh, I know why I'm scrolling my phone and I really don't want to play Legos with them. Like now I know why. Got it. It's not put the phone away. Let me force myself to go play Legos. It's how do I take care of myself so that I have the mental health I need to be present for my kids? How do I make sure that I am feeling whole and healthy and well, like feeling well within my life? And it's not an easy journey and it is wildly uncomfortable at times, but one of the parts we haven't spoken about is is Jonathan yeah. and I am widowed and Jonathan took his own life about well 2 years ago oh, um wow. this this month 2 years ago and I suspected that but I didn't want to ask him yeah, this yeah that's why mental health is mm. so important to me and being able to understand your brain and understand how to regulate and take care of your brain is suicide is it's so high these days. Like there's so many more people doing it. And it's such a combination of the world we live in, the immediacy culture, pushing ourselves to make more, do more, be more. And, um, the lack of awareness, the lack of understanding. And if you are revved, if your engine is revved, then your child's going to see you revved and they're going to feed off that energy. And they're gonna be like, Oh, well, that's what I should like. That's how I should function. That's what I should be doing because mommy and daddy are the model. And that's where we get into this point where there's a whole house of chaos and a whole house of dysregulation and a whole house of, well, he's struggling and she's doing and I'm doing this and it, or like, we're all sitting there zoned out on our phones and none of us are talking or here, we'll turn the TV on during dinner. You know, it's, it's ways of coping. It's strategy so that we can survive. Before uh, your husband, the suicide, Mm -hmm. Did you feel that leading up to that? When you look back, do you like, did you see it escalating to a point where you're like, it was there or was it out of the blue? How can you, if you're willing to share, what happened before that? Kind of like I had said earlier, especially when we moved here to Texas, I recognized that it wasn't for Jonathan, just a situation. I recognized it was a pattern and the first comes love, then comes marriage, baby carriage thing. Like that flew out the window. Like it wasn't. And I finally was able to kind of separate what was going on versus situational. And I believed in that first comes love, then comes marriage. Like I literally thought like things were just going to work. Like, of course they're going to be fine. Like, of course they're going to work. And I kept believing Jonathan as well as the man I met and the courting phase, if you will, of our life and our courtship was very different. And of course there's hormones flying and we're so happy and all the different things, but it was for sure a steady decline. And part of my story that is extremely hard to discuss, and I kind of discuss it almost like in a, in a way that others can kind of see my side is Jonathan and I were separated prior to him passing. And that was his doing because I don't feel that I, I was trying to get there, but I just didn't have the strength to break up our family. Yeah, And it's not one of which is like the Grey's Anatomy, you know, where it's like, well, your partner who you're about to get married to has terminal cancer. And they're like, well, here's the ring. Like I'm going on our honeymoon. Bye. Like you, you see 
that depicted sometimes in TV. It was more of like, we can do this. I'm here. Let's do this. And I finally recognized after, I mean, I was with Jonathan for 10 years. I'm drowning. My kids are drowning. We're all dysregulated, if you will. We're like, I was snapping at the kids and I was doing way too much. And again, stretched too thin, even after I sold my business that I was like, I have to start taking care of myself and figuring out how to support my children and support myself because they're going to start seeing this soon as they get into the four or five, six. Now they're, what are they, nine and six? But it was a very slow, steady progression and one in which I didn't talk about. And that's why I talk about it now because I thought that's just what you do. You support your partner and you keep smiling. And I believe that who you are within the walls of your home is 1000% the most authentic version of yourself. And we shame ourselves for who we should be versus who we actually are or how we're functioning or how we're feeling. And we keep putting on the mask because that's what, again, society tells us to do or because we want to, or because we were born into some life of like, that's just, you know, what you're, hi, how are you? And I would say I very much grew up in, hi, like, so great to see you. And Jonathan was very much struggling. And to kind of almost explain like how Jonathan was functioning versus not, I believe that Jonathan was something called in the assessment I had you take earlier is a sensory profile. And you can be an avoider, which is your brain does not need a lot of stimuli to function. It just doesn't want it. And you can also be a seeker, which I'm a seeker. Like I go, 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 go. So in retrospect, like I'm a gas pedal. Jonathan was more of a break. And he was number one in his company every single year. He died in April. He had already made six figures that year within three months. Like Jonathan was pushing beyond belief. And it just shows like I've kind of given you that, you know, visualization of survival mode versus regulated mode. I believe that that's why this work matters so much. It matters for ourselves. It matters for our children. And it matters for even your career and your life and making sure that you're actually enjoying the steps along the way to get to wherever you want to get to in life, whether it's real estate or education or legal degree, like whatever it is, you have to like, what's the point? And it just shows he was functioning not well within the walls of his home, but literally no one knew. Like, no one knew. Everyone was shocked at work when mm. they found out. Like, my friends, like, I told some of them what was going on, but no one knew the extent. And he didn't want anyone to know. He didn't want to be able to say, I'm not doing well. And when I work with clients, if I can show them their sensory profile and say, your brain doesn't want this, like your brain, you're struggling or you're feeling depressed or you're feeling anxious or you're living in survival mode and pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. But like, you're feeling like this because your brain literally doesn't want this. Mm -hmm. It doesn't need this. And I find a lot of times with those avoiders, particularly it's like trudging through the mud because, well, they can do it and they can do it. So why can't I do it? And if we invoke that shame piece, it's like, well, then we're going to push ourselves to perfection mode and try to keep up. And 
it was just too much for Jonathan. It was just too much. And deep, deep down, I had that lens, which is one of the reasons why I was like, I have to do this for myself. I have to start focusing in on my mental health and the children and taking the steps for myself is I knew, sadly, heartbreakingly, I knew that I might be here one day. And that's not something anyone wants. And I wish it had never happened. Have I made peace with it? And I, have I healed a lot? Like, you betcha. Like, the last two years, have, they've not been easy. But they're one in which, again, like I said in the beginning, like, I wouldn't be who I am today, nor would I have such a passion for what I do and how I do it and fully invest within anyone I meet, helping them understand this knowledge because it really does boil down back down to mental health. What advice do you have for people who are maybe in a position you were three years ago, let's say, mm-hmm. where they, they notice their spouse seems to be, mm-hmm. how you call it, declining or you know, escalating uh, in, in that depressive state? Mm-hmm. What do you tell those people? That's a really great question and one in which so many reach out to me and they're like, you're literally describing my partner and like, I've done everything. I don't know what to do anymore. And it's one of the reasons why I talk about it because- I didn't know what to do anymore. And the best thing I did for myself was I didn't hop on a plane to Fiji, like I said, right? But I did decide that my mental health mattered too. I did decide that Jonathan, I am here for him. I will do whatever he needs. I like I kept pushing for 10 years, like anything and everything. Like, we'll go, we'll do, we'll try, we'll like, let's do it. And I finally was like, I'm drowning too. And you can't raise children with two drowning humans. And so my best piece of advice is get yourself support because just because there's one human in your household that is really struggling doesn't necessarily mean that it's not affecting you and doesn't mean that it's not ripping your insides apart. And that's the best thing you can do for yourself, honestly, your partnership and your family. Mm. Mm -hmm. Well, you mentioned... uh assessment that you had me take earlier. Yes, I did. You want to dig into that? Yes. Okay. So when you looked at it, when you got here, you looked at it, you said, oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'd love to know more. Okay. (laughs) First of all, what was the assessment for those who don't know? And then why do you have people do that? And then what do you see? Yeah. So not many offer this. And it's crazy because it exists. We have the child version of the sensory profile and we have the adult version. And we really only use it in the land of OT for pediatrics. And there's important things to kind of discuss. So I'll give you a few and then I'd love for you to tell me which ones you think you are. Okay. And then I'll tell you actually what you are. Okay. Okay. So there's four different categories. All right. One is sensory sensitivity where you are just completely sensitive to stimuli. Sound triggers you, touch triggers you, taste. And it's just, you're very on alert, I would say in terms, you know, bright lights or things like that, but you're just a little bit more sensitive, right? Your nervous system is just a sensitive little being. So that's the first one. The second one is called low registration. And it's incredible how many people, when I explain it on my reels, they're like, oh my gosh, like I didn't know, like that's what this is. Oh my gosh. And low registration, I want you to take low out of it and just think of registration of like, how do you register the world? 
Am I noticing the colors in the environment? Am I noticing that I'm about to trip over a book? Do you bump into walls? Do you get your jacket hooked in in something in, in the kitchen and things like that? It's really, how are you registering the environment and the world around you? The next two are either, and I've just kind of mentioned it previously, is seekers and avoiders. So Like I said, I'm a seeker, which means I'm a full-blown gas pedal. So I told you before we started recording the podcast, like if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it up. And that's totally because of my seeking tendencies. Seekers are ones who go, 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 go. They're the ones who even can be considered like, I have ADHD. It's the ones who really crave input into their body and They go from task to task to task to task. And when you're thinking of them, even in the form of children, you can think it like they're your monkeys. They're the ones who are scaling the walls and they're going from one plaything to another to another and they're leaving a mess and trails all along the way. So seekers are really, they're craving all the stimuli within their nervous system, like their body and brain needs it and wants it. Now, avoiders are the opposite. Avoiders are like, I don't need that. I don't want that. I'd be totally happy at a spa with a book and silence. Like almost think of it as like an introvert where like you just don't, you just don't need a lot of the stimuli, sound, touch, light, taste, like all the different things. You don't need it into your body and your brain is not craving it. So (laughs) all right, what would you think you are? I told you it was very interesting, your (sighs) score. So I have no idea, but I'm going to go with this. I would say... I don't think I'm an avoider and I, I maybe wish I was an avoider. Like I love the idea of laying on a beach and reading a book okay. by myself. I love that idea. I fantasize about that idea and I never do it. I live in Hawaii. I can go to the beach any day I want to. I never do it. Uh, maybe that's because of obligations or whatever, but I, so I'm guessing I'm not an avoider. Okay. I don't think I'm low reg- registration. Okay. Um, my little brother is like every, like growing up, every single day he's the one that spilt the milk and bumped his toe and yep. choked himself. So. I definitely know that type. I would guess I'm a seeker, but I, don't, I honestly don't know. I'd love mm-hmm. to know what, what I actually am. But I, I would guess seeker because I'm the last one. I have to be the last one at any party I go to. Like I can't leave before other people do. Mm-hmm. I actively, I'm like, like even last night we were like, let's hang out. Like, hey, bring people over. And like just people came over because I need more. So anyway, how does that, how does that sit with you? What so do you think? The thing about yours is I actually don't get many of these. It's an awesome thing. Straight down the middle, you are similar to most humans, which means you're a pretty regulated dude. Okay. Which that's means good. like your baseline is you run pretty regulated. And I love that you're like, oh, I'm not, I'm, I don't think I'm a, an avoider. <laughs> I don't think I'm a seeker, but I don't know. Maybe I'm the. It's because you're a pretty great mix of all of them. And you can be more than most, you can be less than most, you can, based on the normative data. And especially with high performing and you doing all the different things, being a dad, podcaster, you know, investment, like all the different things that you do, you're pretty regulated, which is pretty awesome. Yes. Yeah. Like I was like, oh my gosh, how interesting. Alex, she like, thinks I'm awesome. She yeah, says I'm awesome. Like, yeah. She doesn't know me that well. <laughs> she doesn't know me that well. Now, do we have tendencies, right? Like when we are dysregulated, can we show signs? A lot of people say, can I be both? Can I be a mm. void or innocent? Like, yes. Your brain functions differently when you're regulated versus dysregulated. So let's say your kiddo loves deep pressure and hugs. Mm. When they're offline, they're going to be like, don't touch me. Yeah. Like if you've been in the kitchen and, and doing laundry and all the things all day, 
and your kid is whining, like you're going to avoid that sound. Like you're going to be like, stop enough. Like I, I can't. Right. And so it depends on where you are regulation wise of kind of, that's normally a baseline of like, that's how you would say on average you are, but it does, it wavers depending on how your state and mental state is and how you're functioning. You know, people ask me a lot if I'm an introvert or extrovert, like it's a common, you know, question people ask. And sure. I, I always have such a hard time answering that. Is that because like, mm-hmm. I'm, I, I feel like I'm not extreme in either way. You, no, just, yep. You're right in the middle. You're literally right in the middle, which is, it's an awesome thing to be, you know, like I said, I'm more of a seeker. The work of my life is learning how to step on that break of mm-hmm. like, my brain is like, go, 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 go. But my body is like, I am effing exhausted, <laughs> like slow down. And so the work of my life is learning how to continue stepping on that break and give my body what it needs so that I don't have that meltdown, yeah. so that I don't burn out, so that I can keep going and doing all the things I want in my own career, in my own life and being there for the kids. You know, it's solo parenting is not for the faint of heart, let me no, tell you. Sure. Like it's, it's a doozy, but- I do it every single day with regulation in mind of like, how do I feel? How do I feel? How do I feel? How do I feel? So that I can show up for myself and that way I can show up for the boys. So how do you step down? I think is a phrase maybe you used, but like, how do you put the break on? How do you yeah. step on the, step on the break? I think is what you said. How do you Absolutely. step on the break? Absolutely. Yeah. So first and foremost, I have to ask myself, how do I feel? Like, how do I feel? And a lot of times I'll ask people that question. They have no freaking idea. Like they have no idea how mm. they feel. I'm like, I don't get happy, sad, angry, frustrated. If you stay right there, we're good. Like, that's great. And you have to ask yourself how you feel. And I would say, again, that's still more psychological lens. But the next step is like, where do I feel it in my body? And that's connecting the brain and the body, the mm. physical side of life and, and, the, and the physicality of what is going on with our body, as well as the psychological of where do we feel it, right? And it's collecting different portions of the brain and making sure. And then, okay, what do I need? Sometimes I need awesome workout where I'm like getting deep pressure into my joints and really giving myself the input I need. Sometimes I need yoga. Other times I just need to lay down. I may not want to, but I know I need to because I've kind of gone through the checklist of what I need. And the last step that I really teach is as well as do to myself is like, how do I go get that? A lot of times it's, how do I verbalize that? Or how do I gift myself that time of self-care? How do I Mm. release the guilt to say, I know my kids need me, but I'm worthless right now and I have to take care of myself. It's a process of releasing the shame and guilt and all the different things to be able to then step in to give your body and brain what it needs. So it's a process, but it's a good one. It's an awesome one. What about the opposite then? Those who are maybe on the uh, avoider side, Mm -hmm. uh, how do they push the gas pedal? Yeah, that's fantastic, fantastic question. And I work with those often, a lot of lawyers recently that I work with who are avoiders yet feel broken inside or exhausted or depressed or snapping at their kids. And the awareness of like, oh my gosh, I'm not broken. Like, oh my gosh, like that's just the way my brain functions. It's almost half the battle to be like, thank you. Like I thought it was me. Like I thought that I was broken. I thought that I needed to fix myself. And there's plenty of things you can do as an avoider. There's wristbands that can vibrate to kind of Mm. stimulate you. Think of like when people go do speaking gigs, right? They like bounce around and get prepped and ready. That's revving your engine. So for the avoiders, bouncing on a big physio ball while you're working or standing and standing on a balance board to kind of rock back and forth and give your body 
kind of that zing, if you will, almost like coffee, like give it a little bit of a push to kind of rise to the occasion is what they need to give themselves that push. But really for them, they have to really take care of themselves in terms of self-care because they're going to get exhausted because they're pushing themselves. That makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, It reminds me a little bit of a Tony Robbins has a thing about like priming where like you, I've never been to a Tony Robbins event, but I know people go to him and they talk about like, you say like a word and action that like puts you into the right state. Yep. There's mm-hmm. some like thing you do, yeah. right? It sounds to kind of set yourself up for yeah. success. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's fascinating. And then the other two, uh, sensory sensitivity, am I saying mm-hmm. that right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the low registration, any tips for those people? Yeah. So sensory sensitivity is really just the awareness of it, of like, got it. Now I know why I run hot and cold. Now I know why. Maybe it's the person who feels like they're always on edge and you can be a mix of these things. It's not always like one or the other. You know, I have people who are less than most, more than most, like all over the place. And that is really just the awareness of like, got it, I might be a highly sensitive person and that's totally okay. And then the low registration piece, I find that if you are bumping into walls and like, I used to have bruises like all over my body and I'd be like, I don't know, <laughs> Brooke, what's that? For? I, like, I have no idea. And the more regulated you are, it's like, as if you had grease on your glasses and then you like wipe the grease off. You are now able to see the world around you and you're able to register the world around you. So for those who are tripping into things or feel like that's me, I'm totally clumsy, you're probably slightly dysregulated. And so that regulation piece will help you be able to see the world around you and really heal that side of your brain. And have more fluency within that side of your brain. You you know, neuroplasticity, we can shift and change and morph and grow tons of different portions of our brain. And I don't have bruises all over my body anymore because I (laughs) know how to regulate myself and take care of myself. What are some of the, I mean, you kind of mentioned a couple, but what are some of the things that you do personally? Like that you, like, are you a bath, you know, candle kind of like calm down, go to the beach? Like, what do you do? Yeah, for me, I would say it's it's moment to moment because my body and brain does need different things and I'm more than okay with that. A lot of us think of, well, I do CrossFit and that's my thing or I do this mm. and that's my thing. A lot of that's just like marketing and sales, yeah. you know? Okay, how do I feel? Do I feel like I need to rest? A lot of times in between my clients, I will lay down. Like I'll literally put my body on the couch and lay down because that's a wonderful place where your body can just go back to regulation and kind Mm -hmm. of calm itself down. That's why we lay down sleeping. I do a lot of yoga and I do solid core where I'm getting deep, deep pressure into my joints and my muscles. And that's more of my seeking. And it kind of turns my brain on for the day before work. I eat really, really healthy. I don't really drink that much simply because I can feel it the next day. I would say the number one, well, I'll give you two. The two most important tips for regulation is sleep and water, hands down. Mm -hmm. Like if you don't feel well, like, or you're like, "Eh, something's off, sleep, turn the phone off, turn the TV off, like push yourself, get your booty in bed, like hands, hands down, get yourself like three good days of rest. You have to have right that transition. Like you can't just expect it to show up in one day. The next one is water, right? Hydration is everything. And then The other one is really taking the time to make sure that you're giving back to yourself. And that could be, like I said, a plethora of things. If you are feeling dysregulated, hands down, you have to be online for this though. So like if your kiddo is like thrashing all over the place, don't try and go hug them. Like just don't do it. Make sure they're a little bit back online. 
But yeah, well, he went wild. There was melting down. You could not no, touch him. He no, would, don't touch. Yeah. Nope, nope. Just calmly wait. <laughs> yep, conserve your energy yep. and just, I love you. Yep. Let me know when you're ready. Yep, or like, I'm still here. Like, I'm still here. I love you. And we have to like just breathe because otherwise yeah. we start elevating too. Exactly. It's like, we, no, just calm. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. That last piece is touch, like human physical touch or a weighted blanket. Like that is so important. And oftentimes we don't even recognize, you know, when I'll work with my clients, I'm like, what do you need? They're like, I need a hug. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm like, awesome. Like, go get a hug. And it's, they've just had a huge fight with their partner or a big blow up at work or something. They just need a hug. And that touch really helps your brain and your body say, oh, this isn't stop, drop and roll time. There's no burning building. Like I'm safe here. And it helps to start bringing that brain kind of back down to baseline. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. I have a friend who's a, uh, or call it like a long hugger. Mm-hmm. And like, I love hugging him. Mm-hmm. Like whenever I see him, I see him a couple times a year and he'll hug me when we're le- coming or leaving, but he won't let go. He'll just hug me. And then he'll like talk while hugging. Aww. It's the most beautiful. Cause at first it's like, it's like, oh, this is a nice hug. And then it's like, well, this is weird. It's going really long. And then it's like, no, this is not weird. This is nice. I like this. And yes. I like settle in. And it's so beautiful. Yes. And basically like sometimes I'm like, I just needed a hug. Like yes. somebody for like a minute. It's like a lot, like uh, longer than it should, like you would normally do it. Yep. But I love it. And I look forward to seeing him because I'm like, I hope he gives me one of those hugs. Like, it's, yep. it's like, I just needed that. And I think, yeah, today we don't get, we don't get a lot of hugs. We might get a fist bump, you know, yes. if you're, you know, because everyone's, I don't know, afraid of touch these days. But yeah, yeah I know for me, yeah, it makes a big, big But impact. just how you explained it, like the familiarity of your brain of like, sure, here's a hug. And then it's like, oh, wait, but hold on. This feels uncomfortable. Yes. And then it's like, oh, yeah. but actually I like this. Yeah, like it's this. that transition yeah. of like, oh, okay, maybe this does feel good. Yeah. It's super important. And it's, you, you know, you're going to get that from your friend. Yeah. Like, how cool is that? Yeah. Yeah. It's neat. Uh, I met a guy the other day. I, I mentioned how I do massages. Or I try to get a massage. I have a, the combo once a week. Maybe I probably love. don't average that, but I love, love it. Right. One of my favorite things in the world. One, because it's like, it's that unregulating. What's the word? Like I'm, I'm just calming Dis- down. Right. right? Yes. Yeah, yes. Yes. I, it's it's totally deep pressure into the body. Yeah. Massages are fantastic. Yeah. It's amazing. And then I, I also get an hour and a half to think. And I, some yep. of my best business ideas come during that. Cause I'm yep. able to get out of that anxiety, whatever the constant of life. I talked to a guy the other day. Actually, Alex, was that you I was talking to you about? Like, you don't like massages? Was that you or is that somebody else? Definitely me. Okay, yeah. Alex does not like a massage. No, my body is disgusting and you're going to keep away from it. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, it makes me think he must, I'm guessing, the sensi- sensory sensitive. Yeah, or avoider. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he just does not want. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was the weirdest thing when you said that because I was like, who doesn't like a massage? Like, it sounds like the best thing in the world to me. And you were just, yeah, very anti that. Very anti. That's so funny. Don't touch me. <laughs> and then she judges me for it. <laughs> Look, I'm just, I'm just pointing awareness. Yeah, she's awareness. Just, she's categorizing you. It's not the awareness. same thing as judging. Awareness. There we go. <laughs> it's acceptance. It's acceptance and awareness. Mm, it's like okay go. that I don't enjoy massages. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I love it. I'm gonna go get a massage later. Okay. So, what are your thoughts then on uh, meditation? Do you practice meditation? Do you? Is that just a way for people to dysregulate? I feel like I'm using that word wrong. To regulate. Uh, to regulate. Dysregulation is like dysfunction. It's okay, like, okay. It's like so the opposite. To regulate. Yep. yep. Do, is that what meditation is in your view? Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. You're not going to like this. Yeah, be offensive. I love Whoever's it. listening is not going <laughs> to like this. You're like, God damn. Okay. So meditation is fantastic. Breath work is fantastic. Journaling is fantastic. But like if you're a high performance CEO or a full-time parent or like 
do you mm-hmm. have time to meditate? Like, I don't have time to meditate. And <laughs> like, I don't necessarily want to find the time to meditate. I don't necessarily want to find the time to journal. That's not my jam. I don't necessarily want to find the time to do breath work. I totally should, by the way. But mm-hmm. like in this phase and journey or yep. season of my life, I, I can't. And many others are like that. And I would say that's one of the biggest differences is you have to find the things that work for you because there's so many different things that will yeah. work for you. And it doesn't have to be through the standard mindfulness practices of like, I cannot tell you the amount of people that are like, I should meditate. I mm-hmm. should, like, I've tried that. But we have to find things that when I'm done working with you, like, it's going to be things that you actually know you like doing. And it's going to be things that you would regularly incorporate into your everyday. It can't be a prescription of what someone is telling you is yeah. going to work because it's it's like a diet. It's like the whole 30 or, you know, like yep. it works for 30 days, but why do you think it's 30 days? Because it may not be your regular way of eating, right? And so it has to be able to be incorporated into your life in ways that feel good for you that actually work for you. So for me, it's not journaling, it's verbal journals. Like that's what works for me. And so we have to be able to find ways for all of us to figure out, especially once you understand how your brain functions, okay, great, now I know what I need, or I'm getting closer to understanding what I need, but what actually works for my own brain? And does it actually give me what I'm, like, how do I feel after? Is it giving you what you need? It sounds like the massages are doing fantastic. It's like, you know, a work meeting with yourself. I have plenty of those in my workouts. Like, it's totally a work meeting for myself. So you have to find what works for you And also not shame yourself if you're not doing the meditation. Like, it's okay, you know? And if it does work for you, that's fine too. That's one of the hard things with the glut of information we have on the internet, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, you should meditate. You should also do cold plunges and cold showers. And you should do this. And you should do this. And you can just, that list gets so long. And it just, now I just feel guilty because I don't do cold showers. Mm -hmm. That's clearly what I need. And Mm -hmm. I can list a hundred things that are that the experts say I should do. And mm-hmm. guys like Andrew Huberman, who are like you know, brilliant. And, all yes. this, like, and there's, he'll point out all the scientific reasons why right. this is good for you. And it's all good. I mean, there's so much good for you. Yes. You can't do it all. No. And so you either have a choice. You can just accept the fact that you can't do it all, mm-hmm. or you can just feel guilty your whole life. And yes. I, I struggle with the guilt side because I'm like, oh, right. I, need, I need to do more of this. Right. Guilt and shame, hands down, is not good for your brain. Like mm. there's literally no redeeming qualities. Like I'm telling you not one. Like it may help you be more of a perfectionist, but it's there's no redeeming qualities because the perfectionism can absolutely drive you nuts, right? So you get to just say, it's okay. Like, it's okay that I'm not meditating. Like, that's literally the process of de-shaming your brain. Like, it's okay that I snapped at my kids. It's okay that I didn't meet the deadline. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Maybe it's not okay that you met the deadline, didn't meet the deadline or snap at your kids, but like, you're telling your brain, I'm human, mm. I'm normal, and it is okay to not be perfect. Mm. And that's part of it. Like that's part of saying it's okay for me to find my own path in life and do this my way that feels good for me. You know, I had an interesting thought uh, a little while back where I, I I looked at my kids and I, I looked at let's go let's say Wilder who's three and I, I said absolutely love him where he's at right now. I love his he can't talk very well. He's struggling with it <laughs> and it's really cute. I can't understand half the words he says. It's adorable. Mm-hmm. I love everything about this age. Every, even his meltdowns and the cuddling after, like all of it. I just, I just love him in this state so much. Yeah. But I'm also, I want him to talk better eventually. Mm-hmm. I want him to get out of complete out of meltdown. I mm-hmm. want him to eat broccoli. Sure. 
So it's this interesting thing as a parent, I can fully be happy and accepting and say, I love exactly as he is, but I can also want more. Yes. And so I thought that I'm like, oh, interesting. Why don't I do that with myself? Why can't I be like, that's, then that was the kind of the answer I needed in terms of like, I can be a hundred percent happy with who I am knowing that I'm not perfect. Yes. Instead of like, how do you balance that? So I've been playing with this idea later. It's like every time I'm frustrated, like, oh, I didn't get to the gym enough or, oh, I got a little bit of fat over here. You know, all the things, right. That we criticize ourselves for. It's like, oh, I can be a hundred percent happy with myself. I I can't, I try, Mm -hmm. but like that's how I tell myself, right. Cause Mm -hmm. the guilt doesn't help uh, at all. Yeah. And I asked you before we started the podcast, I said, how many years have you, you know, been in real estate? How many years have you been doing X, Y, Z? You've been doing this for over a decade. I've been doing my work for over a decade. Like we don't really, because probably it said so much, like Rome wasn't built in a day. Mm -hmm. It's the trust factor of like, I know I'm going to get there or like, I know he's going to get there and I know eventually he will speak better. And I know eventually he will eat broccoli. Like I, I have to trust in that. And it's okay to be exactly where I'm at. It's okay to feel all these feelings, whether they're uncomfortable, whether they're fantastic, but it's okay to trust in that and know, like, even if you have a hard day, even if you can't get up off your booty and do the thing, go to the gym or, or help push them forward to speak more or eat the broccoli, right? Like it's still okay. Because if you zoom out and say, I've got 10 more years to do this, or I've got X amount of, like, it's okay. And it's, it's zooming out to allow yourself to just be present and accept what's, like you said, right in front of you and allow yourself to actually feel the enjoyment in moments of like all that wave of emotion of like, that didn't feel great, but like, oh, this feels really good. But oh, that didn't feel so good. Oh, but wait, like I'm recognizing this feels good and it's okay. Like it's totally okay to just find the trust within life and find the trust literally within your brain to be like, I didn't do the thing today but I'm going to trust that my body needed that rest and that Mm. I'm going to do it tomorrow or when my body and brain is ready to do it. I'm going to trust that. And nine times out of 10, if you build that trust, it will come. That's beautiful. You mentioned, you know, guilt. We've been talking a little about guilt. Let's talk about one of the most common types of guilt out there. Mom guilt or dad guilt. Like this idea of like, like, I, and I think mom guilt is more common, but I like, I talk a lot about like, I have guilt all the time. If I'm working, I feel like I need to be with my kids. I feel uh-huh. like I'm a bad dad, especially being an entrepreneur. I pick my own hours, you know, like I should be with them right now, but then I'm with them and I'm like, I really wish I was at work right now. That'd be a lot of fun. Now I feel yep. guilty that I'm, I wish I was at work instead of my kids and I should be playing Legos, but I'm, I'm bored. Yep. Do you get that way? I mean, do you, yeah. Like I, what, oh, are your, yeah. what are your thoughts on mom slash dad guilt? You know, I love that you're like, well, it's more commonly mom guilt. And I think that it's spoken like that simply because we've allowed ourselves to say that more and own mom guilt more. And I truly believe that dads have just as much, but it's just not discussed or Mm -hmm. it's just not owned and taken ownership of like, yeah, like I have that too. And I feel that because of the position that I'm in, like I am mom and mom, I'm dad and dad, I'm mom and dad, I'm everything. I'm financial provider and caregiver. Like I'm buying the gifts for birthdays and and I'm making sure they get there on time. And then I'm rushing to get to the baseball field and I have no idea how the hell to catch a ball. Like I'm doing it all. And I have this lens of it's parent guilt. And no matter what position or if you are the breadwinner or the caregiver or the this or the that, like it's showing how much you love 
that human. You literally want to give everything to that human and your children and want to give your all. And it's because you're loving them and because you're craving and wanting to do and go above and beyond for them that that's showing up. But at the same time, guilt and shame is not good for your brain, right? And Oh, I didn't get that with a rhyme. Oh, I, I know. That's a rhyme. I know. There guilt you go. And guilt and shame. All right, right. We should make a song. <laughs> I got a guitar uh, there you go. Somewhere. There you yeah, go. All right, we'll pull it out. That'd be great. <laughs> but like, I know I can't be all the things and I, I've had to accept that. And while I don't necessarily feel that, and many, 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 many people do this. Many people are single parents. Many people are widowed. Many people are solo parents. Like we grew up many, many years ago as, as tribes and communities. And now we're in single homes and we're not recognizing how much is being placed on us. It's not humanly possible to do it all. It is not. And telling yourself I'm doing enough and it's okay. It's okay. Is the motto I go by. And like, it is okay to enjoy your career. Like I love, I hope you can tell by my passion, like of how I talk, like I love what I do. This is not just to keep the lights on for me. Like I'm so in love with what I do and it's part of who I am. And I get to enjoy my life too. You get to enjoy your life too. And if this is what feels good to you, you know, you're away from the kids right now. Like you get to enjoy this part of your life too. And it's okay to have those things. It's okay to not always get to do the Legos, not always I've had to release a lot. Like, it's okay that I don't get to cook tonight. It's okay that we're eating pizza again. Like, it's okay that this, it's okay that that. And, you know, my kids at the end of the day, like, they still love you. Like, they look at you and they're happy. And they don't think to themselves, you didn't play Legos with me today. They're grateful for the time you did spend. And especially for those first, the first year when Jonathan was gone, I mean, I literally had to hold on like two minutes, like you laid on the ground, there was the twinkle twilights on the star, you know, on the ceiling and the stars. And like, you got that, like you got that. And he got that. And like, great job, Brooke, like great job. And it is okay to just give yourself those two minutes because they're not going to say, well, you didn't give me five. Yeah. Like they're, I mean, okay, maybe they will, but like, they still do love you at the end of the day, but that's just because they want more, but it's okay to release that and just say, I'm doing a great job. Like I'm going to bed saying I'm doing a fantastic job and so are you. And most parents are, and they don't give themselves the credit they deserve. Like they just don't see it as that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think social media just exacerbates the problem, oh, right? Oh my goodness. Like look at all the moms out there and they're flowing dress with their kids all day and then, you know, like picking leaves out and they're like, wow, I wish I could be that mom. Or like the dad who does the cool stuff with the kid. Hey, who's built this giant tree fort? I'm like, I don't even have time. I don't even have a tree to build a tree fort in. Like, I mean, how do, how do I? Yep. Yeah. And so do you I know what so, I like to say? I like to say Martha went to Martha Stewart went to jail too. <laughs> like, come on, <laughs> right? It's a like, line, yeah. Perfection yep. of like, oh, look at the beautiful mm-hmm. muffins I made. Like, we all think it's gonna be muffins and rainbows yeah. and glitter popping out of our butts. Like, yeah. we all think that, but like it's okay if you get a cookie that was already baked from someone else, you yeah. know, like it's okay. Yeah. And she did. She yeah. went, she went to jail. She went to jail. Yeah. She's normal. Just that's, like us. It's funny. Yeah. I see it a lot with the, um, like the birthday party pressure with kids. Like you mm. gotta throw a pretty good birthday party. Cause the next mom's going to throw a really good birthday party or, you know, family. And, mm-hmm. uh, we're in that phase right now where every weekend this new, bur- new mm-hmm. party. Mm-hmm. And, uh, this year, I'm so thankful, Rosie. It's like, I just want to go to the trampoline park. I'm like, hallelujah. That's great. Like, we'll go to the trampoline park. 
And it feels a little like both my wife and I are like, yeah, but it's not impressive to mm-hmm. the friends to go to the trampoline park. It's not like we're getting the custom made cupcakes with the little like, you know, R on top of it like we normally would. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be such a great day. Yep. I mean, either way, it's going to be a great day. Yep. But one's way easier on everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm excited about trampoline park. It's mm-hmm. just going to yeah. be a nice, easy one. Yeah. I love that. What are your thoughts on, to, to go back to the regulation, dysregulation sure. uh, discussion, drugs, alcohol, mushrooms, weed, what's your stance? Is that just people gas and break? That's what it maybe feels like. Yeah. I love that you asked this question. So I find that individuals who are craving and have some sort of dependency or even kind of into the addiction realm, that's literally their cry and a need for regulation. Like that alcohol is, while it's not regulating you, it's giving you the thought of like, oh, this is regulating me. Let's say you have highly, highly sensitive hearing. You can hear every conversation around you sensitive to stimuli, right? We want to blunt that, or we want to blunt the thoughts in our head, or we want Mm. to all the different things. Let's take something, right? I have many opinions on drugs and alcohol versus plant-based medicine. I think that one is more pharmaceutical driven and the other is more I mean, it's from the earth. I do think you get to decide. I don't think that there's, even if you're on medication for anxiety or things like that, like there's no shame in that. Like if you need that, it's more than okay. It does help your brain kind of function. It does it teach your brain how to regulate. No, you have to do that for yourself. But alcohol, I don't think we're recognizing because we're so used to the word alcohol, but like it's alcohol within your body. And so (laughs) your body has to, metastasize that and work through that and figure that out. And we're using these things to regulate ourselves. However, I see there's benefits to plant medicine. I believe there's also a reason why you can't overdose on a lot of the plant medicines and you can on synthetic drugs. I do believe that if you can learn to regulate your nervous system, you'll recognize that you don't need as much of the alcohol and Prozac or this or that. Again, not shaming it. Yeah. Everyone needs to do what they have to do for their mental health and where they're currently at. But I absolutely feel that there's healing benefits of, you know, even with mushrooms, there's like a process and, and you're, it's almost like there's a lot of studies that show that it connects a lot of different synapses within the brain and it kind of heals those synapses within the brain. And now there's absolutely studies that say that we just make holes in your brain too. So like within the right amount to be able to do these things, but hands down think that a lot of the individuals who have addiction or who are struggling and go to alcohol specifically or go to the drugs, it's a lot of them craving regulation so desperately bad that it's helping give them what they need that they haven't even recognized that's why, like literally the root of why they're doing it. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, there's such a weird thing in America when it comes to like, we are okay giving prescriptions for these synthetic and man-made... Symptoms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Symptoms, and, yes. And we're so... Yeah, I mean, we, I interviewed a guy named Ryan Kennedy on the show a few weeks ago, and uh, he, he got into this, because the world of like health and fitness, because his mom was diagnosed with cancer, mm-hmm. and they just threw a bunch of drugs at her, and they never once said like, get some more sunlight, you know, get some more yes. good healthy food, like yes. eat more, you know... And she ended up passing away. And so he was like, there's got to be more to this. But where does that come from? Like, Why does society, I mean, one, 
we throw out the baby in the bath with the bathwater, right? Mm-hmm. When it comes to like anything like plant medicine wise, we throw mm-hmm. that all out and we're like, mm-hmm. that's bad. Alcohol, we're going to allow. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Even though that seems like it probably should be flipped. I don't mm-hmm. know. But it's like, mm-hmm. we can have this. Yeah, we can have this drug, which you'll, you know, beat up everyone around you and get grumpy and angry, but you can't have this one. It just makes you giggle more. But then you can also have all this medicine over here that you're going to just get, you know, addicted to and be on for life. Like, where does that come from? And Mm -hmm. how do we get beyond that? Yeah, this is something that I, I really work through my brain a lot. Again, it's really important for those who are struggling and on medication. It is not a judgment or a knock to them, like you absolutely get to decide, especially if these things are supporting your mental health. I think that there's money to be made in pharmaceuticals that there isn't otherwise in plants because you can grow them in your backyard if you'd like to. (laughs) So there's like, right. I also think that we just kind of the evolution of mankind of like, oh, wow, like there's doctor, like doctor, oh, you're going to fix, like fix, 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 fix. But it's, it's more about the symptom of like, I feel nauseous. Okay, well, here's a Zofran. Well, but like, did you try water and rest first? You know, maybe you're nauseous because your body is moving through something. I feel nauseous because I'm pregnant. Well, and again, not knocking any medication, but like, well, here's now we, we have now we have this drug and now we have this drug and now we have this drug it's okay to not feel good. Like it's okay to feel uncomfortable. And Mm -hmm. I believe that we have pushed and continue to push faster and harder and stronger. And you don't have to feel like that. You don't have to feel nauseous during your pregnancy. You don't have to feel this way. You don't have to feel that way. Like here's a this, here's a that. And if you even look at like, you know, like the bounce house for your, your kid's birthday, these things, like they didn't exist when you and I were growing up. It was like a trampoline you went and there was like one trampoline. Now it's like bright lights and strobe lights and, and trampolines and absolutely crazy. It's, it's bowling and trampoline. And this is, it's like, it's like Vegas. It's like, can we just do it up all over the place anywhere? And it's starting to kind of combust, but that's where the pharmaceuticals is coming from of like, well, we need to do more. 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 And I believe that our society also has the idea and belief that if you have a symptom, let's fix it. Mm-hmm. Like cold, z this, that. Like viruses and bacteria and immunity, like it's healthy for your body to learn how to ward all this off on its own. It's healthy. It may not feel great, but like your body can do it. Is there a place for this stuff? Absolutely. But you have to look at the totality of all of it. The food we're ingesting, like we could go down the rabbit hole of that. Like it's, it's not great, you know? And there's so much that our kids are eating and ingesting and all the different things. So you have to kind of take a look of, at all of it and decide, again, you don't have to rip your life apart, but like hierarchy of needs. It's like, which ones matter to you and yeah. which ones you want to shift within your family home and your lifestyle and what feels good to you. And really tuning into that regulation piece, if you really listen into your body after you've I don't know, just gone out till two in the morning and, and had tons of drinks all night and ate some greasy food at the end of the night. Like if you literally sit there and listen, how do I feel rather than pushing through? Like you'll probably say, I feel like crap. And so like you have to listen to that. And is it something that you want to continue doing? Is it something that you want to continue putting into your system? And very slowly I have I have to wake up no matter what. Like I have to get my kids off to school, whether I I have a few glasses of wine or not. So like for me, it's like I can't and I don't want to feel like crap. And that's how that stuff makes me and my body physically feel. And 
it's for sure choices. It's absolutely choices and education and knowledge. So I want to shift a little bit and talk about the high performance stuff, the things that you see in the clients that you work with. But before we do, I want to throw over to the ad spot we have. But one thing we do for this show is we give all the proceeds from any ad that we get on an episode to a charity or a cause of the guest choice. Mm -hmm. So the question for you is what cause or charity or you know mission breaks your heart, something that you want to, uh, us to give this ad revenue toward? I think it's really, really awesome that you do that in giving back. And when I sat with this of like, where would I like to spotlight and talk about? It's this organization called Our House. And it's for survivors of individuals who have had a family member who have committed suicide or mm. who are widowed. And it's supports for their families and for the children. And it's a really awesome, awesome foundation and one in which is definitely needed. That's interesting. I've not heard of that. Mm -hmm. uh, so our house, uh, we would definitely do that. Hey, hey, on that, before I actually roll the ad, on that note, how do you want people, I asked this question to, we had a guest named Maria who was on a few weeks ago and she talked about losing a child. Mm -hmm. And I, so I asked her this question and it led to a good conversation, but I'll same thing to you. How do you want people to talk to you about what happened? I mean, sure. like, like how do you approach, because we all probably know somebody mm -hmm. somewhere who had that happen, you know, somebody who had that happen to them. So how do we approach somebody like you and, and talk about it? For me, I'm an open book and I feel that the things that have taken place in my life can only be of benefit to others. My older son, Charlie, did not know specifically. Of course, Charlie and Eli knew daddy died and I was very specific that daddy was not coming back, but I waited until Charlie's brain was ready and he was asking the right questions to learn exactly what happened. He doesn't know how, but he knows that that's what Jonathan did. And now, just now, I have started being very open and talking about it because I feel that my child gets to know, you know, Eli's very young and it was, he was very young when it happened, but I felt that Charlie got to know before the rest of the world exactly what happened. And now that has taken place, ask away. Like, I do feel that just because you're asked a question doesn't mean you need to answer. And it's very healing for anyone who's lost and has moved through grief or trauma. It's a verbal journal, right? Like it's so healing to talk about and to let others know that like you want to know their story and that you care. And some often find that it's like, oh, okay, like that was, you know, back there and it happened a while ago. So you should be good by now. But it stays with us our entire lives. And many trauma experience of any individual, like it stays with you, you know, relationships that have been lost and things like that. And so just asking, hey, how are you feeling? Or just curiosity, like if they're not comfortable talking about it, they'll kind of push it away and kind of be like, mm, no, thanks. But I would say, ask, ask the questions, get curious and show up and learn from others' experiences and allow them to share. All right. Well, let's roll that ad. Hey, it's Brandon. This ad is only for like a like 5% of the audience listening to this. But if that's you, you're going to love this. Are you interested in a hassle-free way to grow your wealth? A place where you can earn strong returns without any extra effort on your part and lower risk. Well, besides running my podcast here and the Better Life Tribe, which you know 100% of profits of that go to charity, I also manage a profitable real estate investment company called Open Door Capital. You know, our main goal at ODC is to help you achieve a better life through passive real estate investing. In other words, we want to help you make more money so that you can live the life that you desire. 
Since 2018, we've acquired over $730 million in value-add real estate across the country, delivering exceptional returns to more than 1,500 passive investors just like you. And here's the best part. You can start investing in one of our opportunities right now because our team has diligently evaluated over 700 deals this year to bring you our latest offering. It's called the Texas 3-Pack. The portfolio consists of three apartment complexes totaling 637 units located in Houston and Austin, Texas. We're acquiring these properties off-market at a staggering $25 million discount. And by assuming the seller's loan, we have secured a low interest rate of 3.8% for the next seven years. With that interest rate and the price discount, this investment carries less risk for investors, allowing my team to focus on creating value for you. Visit our website at odcfund.com slash better life to connect with my team and determine if this deal is right for you. Again, that's odcfund.com slash better life. Thanks for your attention. Look forward to potentially helping you achieve your financial goals with Open Door Capital. All right, so let's move on and talk about high performers. Okay. Uh, you mentioned that, I think you mentioned the phrase, maybe I thought you mentioned the phrase, but you work with high performers. I'm saying, what does that look like? What does that mean? Why do you like... What are the types of people you work with? Yeah. And then we'll dive You might have one coming later on today. I, I don't, might. I, I don't know. I might. You never know. Yeah. One thing that I think is really important, especially for possibly your listeners, I know you have tons of different you know, walks of life of individuals who are listening, but- It's just my mom. Oh, hi, mom. Yeah. She's hi. the only one listening, actually. So. <laughs> That's amazing. Lori Turner. She's awesome. That's amazing. Yep. So the thing is, is that we can look. It is not- taken zero energy for me to get to where I am. Like there's been effort. There's been long nights. There's been early mornings. There's been tears and blood, sweat, and tears to be able to get to where I am. I don't think a lot of us actually realize I want to do the thing, but the A to Z, like what's it actually going to take to get there is like mind blowing when you actually start doing it. And it doesn't just take a week. It takes years, Mm. like years. And in order to find like that zooming out, like really zooming out to be like, I want to get here, but I know it's going to take time and effort. And we can get in such a cycle that I have clients who are in their garage 12 plus hours a day, banging it out for their family, making a million plus a year, like doing all the things. And yet they have zero idea or their brain has no idea how to show up when they're, when they click, turn the computer off Mm -hmm. and it's, then they're like zoning out on their phone because they don't know how to come down or they're, they're making the bazillion a year, but they're not happy. And they thought they would be happy, but they're not happy. And so a lot of the humans I work with is helping them be able to support their brain and bodies while making or pushing, do the thing or get the thing, like to get there, like I'm a perfect example. Like you can have the life of your dreams. You you can build the career of your dreams in all the different ways, but still have the mental health along the way and really take care of yourself along the way. Is it effort? Is it work? You bet. But that's what, like I said, it's experiential. Like that is the work to be able to support yourself through that. So that let's say you are banging it out. Like 12 hour days, whatever you're doing. And then you're like, great, I get a week off, right? And you get to go to Hawaii with your family. You have no earthly idea how to tune in. Like you're so checked out. You're like, this is wildly uncomfortable. Like Mm. I really like my work actually. I have a lot of high performers who Friday, it's kind of like 
okay, they're zoning out. They have no idea, but they feel a glimpse of Sunday. It's like, Ooh, Sunday felt better. And it's like, but why am I doing all this work to even attempt to zone in? Because Monday I have to rev back up. It's easier to keep my brain in that state and go, 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 rather than pushing myself to come down and up and down and up. But you, there's things that you can do within your work life. There's things that you can do within work meetings. There's things that you can do within the breaks between work meetings or holding boundaries around your schedule or or really giving yourself certain tools to be able to support your brain and your body so that you can still push and make the millions and whatever you want to do with your life and go after your dreams, but yet do it in a way so that you'll be here. If you're pushing to do all this stuff, like I don't want you to drop dead at 47 or 50 or like, I want you to be able to be here till you're 80 and 90 and get to see your, you know, your family life, like grow and, and grandchildren and all this stuff. But if you're just pounding the pavement with like zero and it's just like, we're going to get there. We're going to like, we're going to, yep, 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 yep. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. It's not a recipe for success because then when you finally do get there, you still want more and your brain is patterned to want more, or you don't even know how the heck to enjoy it once you do have it. Yeah. You mentioned the word happiness that a lot of high performers are not happy. Oh yeah. Right. I see that as well quite often. Mm-hmm. So let me just ask a basic question. Sure. What is happiness? That's such a great question. I would say 99% of my clients have no idea what happiness is or what it feels like. Mm. Not just what's the definition of happiness, but what does happiness feel like? Their brain does not know. And you have to go explore that. And I have to be like, hello, like, what does this feel like? They're like, well, it kind of felt good. I'm like, did it really feel good or did it kind of feel good? Or like, what? Like, oh, I'm like, alert, alert, like tell your brain this feels good because a lot of times I find that it's like, well, that was, that was a crappy day. Like that sucked or like that, that didn't go well, or oh, that was an awful week or like that was a bad month or what. But what if there were moments of happiness? What if you got to the point where it was, I allow my brain to accept that there's happiness within the day, within different moments. That was a really hard meeting or that was a really hard, whatever it was. But like I had those two minutes on the floor with my kid, like that is happiness. And if we don't register it in our brain, then we don't even know how to feel it. So for me, I think happiness is something that is prescribed by the individual of like, what does happiness mean to you? And a lot of times I ask my clients, they're like, I don't know. Like they don't know because they have a story in their head. They have a vision, almost like Cinderella, Mm -hmm. but in actuality, does it feel that way? Like you may have everything you possibly need and, but you're still pushing to get more. And that means that your brain literally doesn't know how to feel the happiness or even register the happiness. So I would say that that word happiness, what does that mean? It's, it's individualized and it's up to the individual human to make that choice as to what that looks like and what it feels like for them. You know, I have a, I have a friend who has this crazy uh, like warehouse where we do a lot of just crazy things. And there's like, a, you know, all, all this like four wheelers, we drive them around and all this cool stuff. Right. And I got these friends, I got these two buddies that we go out there together with some others often. And, and the two of my buddies will get on those four wheelers and they'll just whip around, they'll drive yeah. around, they have the greatest time. And they're just laughing and hooting and hollering. And they're, just, ah! they're, they're so happy and fun. And I get on there and I'm just like, like driving around in a circle. I just have no like, and 
they look at me and then they get back on it. And I'm sitting over in the corner, you mm-hmm. know, talking to the guy who actually owns the place. Mm-hmm. So we're just talking about business and life and having a great conversation. And they always come over. They're like, hey, like, we really want you guys to have some more, you know, some fun today. I feel bad you guys aren't having fun. And I'm always like, well, like, I don't get fun that way. Yes. Like, that's your fun. Yes. This is actually what I find fun is sitting in the corner talking about business strategy yep. and figuring out how to get an employee. At the same time, I actually crave their level of fun. Some Like, I don't yeah. have that. Yeah. Right. So is that just, am I capable of having that level of fun? Am I, did I just put up a wall that said I can't go and laugh and just be 21 again and crazy? I don't know. I, I, I struggle with that because am I not having fun or what do you think? I don't think that's for me to decide. I think that's a perfect example of why I say it's up to the individual. Like if your idea of fun is not driving around with those things, like that's okay. Like that is okay. I find that we get stuck in saying, I should go to the dad's night out or I should go play golf because all my buddies are doing it or I should enjoy the basketball game or I should go to the concert. But like We're doing those things because either we were invited and we want to be invited the next time and we want to find community or we think that we, quote, should. And that's that part of really back down to regulation mental health of like, you get to decide. And that's going back to that authenticity of like, I get to simply be myself. If that's what you love, I would probably be right there in the corner with you. Like, I don't do fluff. Like, I want to literally talk about your brain. Like, I want to be like, how do you tick? And like, tell me all the things. And I want to get down to the nitty gritty and like have the conversation. And it's so fun to strategize on business. And it's so fun to create and build something. That's just how our brains function and what we enjoy. It doesn't mean that you have to find a way to go enjoy all of that. Like, if that doesn't light up your life and fill you up, you may still want to go to be like, yeah, I'll come with you guys. Like, I want to be with you. I want to spend the time with you. But it's more about the connection of like, I get to have a conversation with you when we go to lunch after. Like, I get to hang out with the dude who owns the place and like strategize and like learn about a new cool human, you know? And that's what fills you up. It's all okay. It's all great data for your brain to be like, got it. I know what I enjoy and what fills me up and fills my cup up and makes me happy. And I'm totally okay with that. It's okay for me to enjoy X, Y, Z and not the others. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. I like that. All right. We're going to move toward the wrapping up of the show here. We have a few more segments here, but there's a phrase I use often is called a pivot in your life. There's pivot moments. There's a, I go to an event, I go to a conference, I go to a thing, I meet a person, have a conversation and my life is going one direction and it goes, a pivots a little bit the other direction. And then there are pivot books. There are Mm. books that we read that pivot us in a new direction. So I'm wondering, do you have three Mm. pivot books in your life? Okay. So I love that you called it like a pivot. One of the books I send probably the most to my clients is a book called The Crossroads of Should and Must. And there's like Mm. a little street sign on the front. It's a beautiful book. It almost looks like art. Mm. It'll take you like an hour and a half to read it. It's just weak and guilt and shame and tell ourselves I should enjoy this or I must do that or I have to do this or I got to keep going. And it's really not that hard. You can literally boil it down to should I take the extra meeting or must I go hang out at the pool with my kids this evening? Or should I say yes to the invitation and go to the girls' night? Or must I stay in and rest my body because I'm exhausted? And you get to decide. And this book kind of, it talks about career slightly, but it's it's such a metaphor for your life. So I would say that one is hands down okay. one of my favorites. Another one is The Body Keeps the Score. And 
like I was like reading, there's certain books where I just like read them and I'm like, yes, yes, yes. And I'm like nodding my head and I'm like, oh my gosh, yes, yes, yes. He talks a lot about even war vets and how he did a lot of work in hospitals and trauma and releasing trauma and all the different things. And he really gets down to even the, like the medication stuff. He, he has seen so much medication go through all these vets, but yet if you really get down to connecting the emotion and really allowing yourself to heal that and feel it, like literally like the body keeps the score, like your body holds on to it. There's tension and there's, it's like a pressure cooker. If you don't release the valve, it's going to blow up. And it was everything written to into the most incredible words to kind of explain a lot of what we've discussed here today. I love it. So cr- uh, crossroads of should, should and, must. and must, body keeps the and score. And the body keeps the score. You got one more? One more. Hmm, there's just so many. Mm-hmm. Ah, one small step can change your life. Okay. It's a little small book and it's the Kaizen way. So it's, you know, all about how Toyota really built their business model. He as well does a phenomenal job of explaining how, especially the, our fight or flight system and our fight or flight system is meant for stop, drop and roll when there's a burning building yeah. or when, you know, we feel unsafe and a bear is chasing us to run away from the bear. Like, right. Like that's what we're supposed to do. A lot of people, when they wake up from a huge car accident or whatever it is, they're like, I don't remember anything. Your brain is supposed to do that. Like that's your brain offline and protecting itself. And he talks about how the problem with today is that your amygdala sends signals to your brain anytime you want to make a shift from your safe, normal routine. And we crave structure, stability, and control so heavily within our lives. And just that one small step, very, very slowly and allowing yourself to feel uncomfortable really can change your life. I love it. Mm -hmm. I love it. All right. Next question. What are three things that you've done or changed in your life over the last year that's given Mm. you a better life? Hmm. Well, I would say I continue to learn how to throttle my engine and step on that brake. And grief and loss and transitions within your life like I knew year one would feel exactly the way that it did. I knew year two would feel exactly as it did. And I'm I'm coming for you year three because <laughs> I have a lot of expectations for this year of just like getting back to me. But within the last year of my life, I've really continued to practice what I preach and learn how to step on the brake and again, continue trusting within myself and my life and trusting within my who I am and, and how I function and just every sense of that word trust and continuing to know that it's going to be okay. And I can feel myself, especially year two, I've said the dust has settled or starting to settle in a really hard way. That was year two for me of grief. And, you know, I'm not as much in that fight or flight state. I knew I was in it when I was in it the first year. And I was just like, it's okay. Like, this is exactly what your brain and body is supposed to be doing right now. And like, you're going to get there. And I would say the ability to have the awareness of what my brain and body is going through through that last year has really changed my life to continue being more present with my kids and to continue supporting my clients and be able to continue growing and supporting myself and and learning and being able to then 
help others and explain to others about this. And it's tremendously affected my life. And I do, I practice what I preach. I know that Rome wasn't built in a day and I'm proud of the efforts that I have made in the last year. And I continue to feel like not year three is like, I'm ready to fly, but I am like, it's only the beginning for me in terms of this new phase of my life. And I don't, there's almost cracking in my voice when I say that, because it's like at the expense of such an immense loss. And it's not that it's like, this is great. Like now I can move on with my life. That's like not it at all. It's, I'm so proud of how I have handled my life and my journey and how I have supported myself and healed that I'm ready for the next step and I'm ready to keep going. And that requires a lot of acceptance and a lot of emotional regulation. And yeah, I would say I'm really proud of myself for what I've moved through in the last year. I love that. I love that. I feel like that's probably a good enough answer, but I'll dig in a little more. And uh, it's two different areas of your life. Number one, your business. Mm. Is there anything you've done in your business Mm -hmm. that you're uh, excited about over the last year that you've changed or done? Yeah. I would say that within my business, Nadia, my business manager, is such a huge portion of the success of why we're at where we're at. And she's a true team player with me. And I have an incredible nanny who is such an incredible part of my life as well. And I'm so proud of the the individuals that trust me. Mm. And I love the side of the more I do this, there's more time so that individuals can trust in what I'm doing and be able to trust me to take them on that journey. And you don't know, like fear, right? You like structure, stability, control, like let's go over there. But you have no idea, like I don't have a crystal ball and I don't know what your life will be like through this work. But the biggest piece for me in terms of my business is really seeing how humans are trusting and embracing this work. The humans that reach out to me and say like, you know, I did a whole week on dad specifically and the amount of men that reached out to me and said they went and got help or the women who reached out and said like, thank you so much. I needed this wake up call to go be like, hey, let's talk. Let's have conversations. And like, we've had a better conversation than we've ever had in our lives. And the impact I can feel more and more and more. And for me, again, that's what it's about is I'm one person, right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm not Oprah. If I can make an impact in this world and help in any way, it leads back to our kids and our children and helping leave a better generation, the earth, and we found it. And that's what it's about for me. So that's what I would say has been very exciting for my business. That's great. All right. What's next for you? Hmm. What's the future look like? Nadia, what's next? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I would say more of the same. I want to continue working with my clients and I have, you know, a team and I've worked super hard at doing a lot of mentoring and making sure that if they're not working with me, then they're working with someone who is duplicate of me and understanding this work at that level. And I want to be able to continue to help grow this knowledge of there's so much understanding and most of us have no idea how our vessel functions. And like having my nine-year-old, despite the fact that he'd probably do a really great job of driving a car because he's, he's just that brained way, but like, it's like, here, here's the keys to the car. Show me what you can do. 
Charlie would crash the car. But like, (laughs) we're all supposed to just be able to function and function well without actually knowing how to support our brains and our individual brains, right? Of like yours functions differently than mine and everyone's does. And it's okay that we function that way. So I would say really continue to moving the needle forward of helping humans understand that this information is out there and hope that I'm doing it in a really relatable way. So it's not like, what jargon did you just say? Like, if we can understand it and give so many examples of like, oh, now I understand this. It's taking that control that we do crave back and being able to support ourselves and our lives and happy, right? Happy and be happy and joyful. Do you have a book out or do you have I don't. I don't. I started writing it. And then that was one of my breaks as I was like, you know what? We're going to pause this. And I love what I'm doing now in terms of supporting my clients and my courses and my group and my podcasts and things like that, that the book will come naturally. And I want to give everything I have to that when it's time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Yeah. There's a lot of freedom in just saying, okay, no book in this season or no business in this season or no, you know, whatever, just giving yourself that break. It's like, it's okay. Mm -hmm. No guilt, Mm -hmm. no shame. All right, last question then. Where can people best connect with you at? Yeah, I, email, Instagram, TikTok, not so much. <laughs> but you're popular on TikTok. Yeah. yeah. People like you there. But I don't really like message with people <laughs> yeah. in there. Yeah, it's a weird messaging system. Yeah. I don't know so either. I would say, you know, if you go to my Instagram, you can click that email button and get in touch with us or just DM us and let us know that you're interested. And I hope that the information that I have out there is, is helpful. And Perfect. yeah. What's your Instagram? handle? It's Brooke with an E and then half of my last name, W-E-I-N-S-T, Weinst. So that's, yeah. All right. Well, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. You're the best. Thank you for having me. And that is the show. Thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode of A Better Life with Brandon Turner. I hope you enjoyed the insights and the wisdom uh, brought to you today on the show. If you found value in this episode, please consider leaving us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, Your feedback actually does help us improve the show. We look at the feedback. I look at the feedback and we can reach more people with our message of living a better life. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Follow me on social, Beardy Brandon. And hey, before I go, this show is all about the habits, actions, and beliefs that can give you a better life. But in case you're interested and you want to know my opinion on what it takes to live the best life ever, and that includes some of my kind of weird spiritual beliefs maybe, Check out abetterlife.com slash best life. Abetterlife.com slash best life. Thank you again for listening, and I will see you next time on A Better Life with Brandon Turner.